Um, the book of Matthew, in the New Testament, um, chapter 21. And it actually looks a lot better when I wear glasses. Verse 1, it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage, I think, um, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there or a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, tell him, sorry, if anything, anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them and Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stored and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from the Nazareth in Galilee. And this is commonly called Palm Sunday. Because this is the day, the week before Easter, when Jesus would have done this and gone into the city. And it was the beginning of a thing called Passover, um, which would have been a massive thing in Jerusalem. Imagine um, the World Cup, the Olympics, Ireland beating England on Paddy's Day, but it all happening in Dublin at the same time. Yeah? And crowds coming into the place. And it would have been a bit like that. And what I want to look at just for a few minutes this morning is this idea that at the same time as Jesus was entering into Jerusalem, on the other side of the city, there was also a Roman entrance into the city. And while people were putting palm branches down and coats on the the ground and shouting Hosanna in the highest, and Jesus was on a donkey, just one man on a donkey, riding in on the east side of the city. On the west side of the city, the Roman army was also marching in. And they would have had trumpets and drums and flags and horses and cavalry and polished and all this kind of stuff. And into the same city at the same time, we have two completely opposing forces, for want of a better way of putting it, coming into it. We have all of this might and power. I mean, Rome ruled most of the known world at this stage. They had conquered Jerusalem and Judea and all that area probably 80 years or something before that. There'd been a few uprisings in it, but they just quashed everything. And they just ruled the roost. And the reason they were coming and Pontius Pilate was coming to town was because of this Passover thing. And Passover was a reminder. It was like they were celebrating when they escaped from Egypt. And the escape from Egypt was to overthrow a massive power. If you think about it, the Egyptians were the ones who were the ruling the known world at the time. And during Passover, when the exodus happened and they go through the Red Sea and then they end up in the desert and all the rest of it, the Egyptian army is splattered. There's none of them left. And a whole powerful force is wiped out. And every year the Jews celebrated this at Passover. They killed the lamb and they they had dinner and they had this weird dinner with bread without yeast and whatever else they had to do. And it was all about celebrating the fact that God had delivered them once. I don't think it was any coincidence that the Romans sent an army into Jerusalem every Passover. 
Because if you think about when God has done something massive for you before, it kind of encourages you to think he might do something massive for me again. And I think they might have been scared that these guys could start a war. Or, not scared, I don't think the Romans were scared of them, but they were like, they weren't stupid either. Put the army in, put a stop to it. Before it starts, just put a stop to it. Send in hundreds of soldiers, cavalry, you name it. And make sure that they know that the power that is real in this world is present. And it's going to hold them and keep them in their place. And that was what that whole thing was about. And then you have Jesus coming in on the other side, which is a totally different ballgame altogether. He's coming in, and he's like just riding in on a donkey. And there's all these people running after him going, Hail to the son of, the son of David. And they thought that he was going to be the one who would rescue them from the Romans. They thought he was going to be the one who would, I don't know, get an army going or do something miraculous and get rid. He's after healing people. He's after like, doing loads of stuff, delivering people from demons, all kinds of stuff. So in essence, just want to ask you for a second, try and put yourself into that place. You've heard all these stories about this guy. He's doing miracles all over the place. And now he's riding into town on Passover. The very time when you're thinking, Dad, it's like the 1916 uprising. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, this is the time. It's Easter Sunday. We're going to like, take over the GPO and we're winning. We're not going to lose this time. And we have the main man, Superman, is with us. And he's going to make it happen. And all through the centuries, the Christians would call this the triumphal entry of Jesus. And do you ever wonder, like, if this is the triumphal entry of Jesus, and it was all so amazing, why was it only five days later they crucified him? It wasn't much of a triumphal entry, when, if you think of it that way. I've just shown so far ahead, I don't know where they am with that. Jesus quoted from a guy called Zephaniah. And when he said that they will come in, say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt. But there's a lot more to that passage than just a description of how Jesus was coming into the thing. And the people listening to him would have known that. They would have understood what he was talking about. It means nothing to us. But in them days, Zechariah was talking to a nation. And the rest of what he said in that book and in that prophecy, it goes on to say, and this is God speaking, he says, I'll defend my house against marauding forces and never again will an oppressor overrun my people. For now I'm keeping watch. Rejoice, shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, I will take away the chariots and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations and his rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus' quote reminded those who heard him of the entire passage that this wasn't just some guy riding in a donkey, but this was the guy who was going to set us free. What they heard was God is going to deliver us from the oppressor. What they got that week wasn't what they expected. What they got that week was somebody who went in and upset everybody. He threw the money tables over. He, he gave out to the Pharisees. He caused all kinds of mayhem in the place. But he didn't overthrow Rome. 
And you're two totally different processions. You have the Roman army coming in, all might and bluster and all the rest of us saying, we're here and we're in control. And Jesus coming in and the people wanting him to throw them out. And he didn't. There's a quote in a book. Um, two guys wrote a book, um, Mark Lindsay and Ron Hefford, and they said about leadership. And they said, leadership is about disappointing your own people at a rate that they can absorb. Leadership is about disappointing your own people at a rate that they can absorb. Okay? And having been around leadership for a while, I would say that's probably the truth. Because I don't think there's anybody even sitting in the room who knows me any length of time who can't say I've disappointed them. True? Not yet. It's coming. You don't know me long enough. That's what's wrong. Yeah? When you know me long enough, you'll know. But here's the thing. If we have relationship, then you can disappoint each other and you can build past it. Yeah? If you don't. But then if sometimes you disappoint people to the extent that they can't take that disappointment anymore. And what happened with Jesus was, in that week, he disappointed everybody who thought he was going to come in. And he ended up, by the end of the week, with all the religious leaders out to get him. The Romans didn't really want to get him, but they took him because they were afraid he would start a rebellion. And you have all the ordinary people. Because they wanted him to make life better for them. And here's the reality of it. He could and he did make life better for them, but not in the way they thought. And one of the problems I think we have, and I have a thing up there about two kingdoms. Is there? Or maybe. doesn't matter. Um, is that we have a picture of how the kingdom of God is supposed to operate in our life. And it's not always like that. He doesn't always make things work out the way I want them to work out. And I want him to come in. Actually, in all fairness, I want Jesus to come into my life. And I want God to step into my life like the Roman armies. I want him to come in and just kick everyone else out and take over. But what he does is he comes in and he kicks me out and takes over. I want him to kick the others out. Does that make sense? The Roman army comes marching in, but comes marching into my heart and says, all them things that are in there where I need to go. All that greed, jealousy, dishonesty, whatever else is in there needs to go. So that the kingdom of God can actually enter in. But I have these two kingdoms inside of me fighting. There's not only these kingdoms out here, which there is. And the world we live in has kingdoms fighting each other. And I'm not only talking about like the United Nations and Israel and the Arabs or, or the Americans and the Iraqis or someone like that. I'm talking about like there is a kingdom of dark and there's a kingdom of light. You don't have to talk to many people to figure out that they, we, know, we all know there's pain in the world. We all know there's suffering in the world. We all know there's stuff in the world that shouldn't be happening. And there is like a kingdom of darkness that is just enveloping the world. Ever, anyone ever remember the never-ending story? The film? I never read the book, but the film. Remember that big fluffy dog? I loved him. I loved him. Everyone. But you remember that the nothingness was taken over? It was like this darkness was just taken over and taken over. And sometimes it can feel like life is like that. But the reality of it is we have this kingdom of light that's available to us as well. But to have that kingdom of life inside of me, 
I need to let God kick the kingdom of Brian out. And the kingdom of Brian is very attached to the kingdom of darkness, to be honest with you. Very attached to it, because it's what I grew up in, it's what I'm used to. And it's the world that we live in. And we look and we come across as odd when we live according to the kingdom of light. We really do. But we're supposed to be, maybe not odd, but we're supposed to be different. I don't know whether odd is a good thing or a bad thing. Special. Now, my daughter ruined the word special for me. Just, you just wouldn't want to hear. Now, if she tells me I'm special, it is not a compliment. It's not a compliment. So, where am I going with all of this? In the, in the, in the picture of Palm Sunday, we have a perfect example of two opposing forces coming in. One which came in and ruled by violence and by terror and by basically putting people down and destroying them. But if you, if you read what the Romans write about themselves in that time, they will say they brought civilization and peace to the world. But they brought it by a sword. And they killed everything that disagreed with them. And on the other side, we have Jesus coming in. And he's bringing in the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of peace. Shalom, it's called. So he doesn't come in with a sword. He doesn't come in with a big army. He doesn't come in with any fanfare. He just comes in, and slowly but surely, he changes things. And he brings honesty, and he brings light. And, and it's quite subversive, and it's quite disruptive. Because when honesty comes into a dishonest situation, it causes disruption. It messes it up. When God came into my life, he messed it up. I thought he was going to come in and it was going to be all roses and twinkling and lovely and everybody loves Jesus and everybody is happy. Rubbish. It didn't work like that. It got messier and worse for quite a while because he had to clean out a lot of the stuff that was in there. And I'm saying that all about me because I know I'm not the only person who has experienced that or who will experience it. We're going to celebrate Easter next week. On Good Friday, we're not going to celebrate that Jesus was killed, but in some ways we should be because if he hadn't have been killed, we couldn't have a relationship with God. It's as simple as that. We may not understand it. You may sit there and go, that's barbaric, and have all kinds of thoughts about why God couldn't have done that and shouldn't have done that and all the rest of it. And that's fine. And I have them too, but at the end of the day, I don't make the rules. He does. And if you were ever a child or if you've ever been a parent, you know your kids want to know why they can't do something and you go, it doesn't matter, I said so. That's the way it is. You don't have to explain. God doesn't have to explain. I don't understand. I just know there is life in blood and our life force is in that. And for whatever reason, God demands life for life. And he gave his own life so that we wouldn't have to. And that's what we will celebrate on Friday. And on Sunday, we'll celebrate the resurrection, which gives us the hope for the future. But at the end of the day, be under no illusion that as we go through that, we will still have two kingdoms at war, outside of us and inside of us. And everything that God tells us to do. I, I was thinking about this this morning. We're, um, so for any of our American friends that might be listening to this podcast, don't take this personal. Okay. We've been in several places in America, in churches in America, and they have armed guards in the place. Now, they live in a country where maybe they need armed guards. 
But the kingdom of God tells me that we're supposed to pray and turn the other cheek. So someone does me wrong, I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. I struggle with equating where does an armed guard fit into that. I'm not, I'm not knocking them because I don't live in their world and I don't know what it's like. I only visit it. But it's like the Crusades were to take back the Holy Land from the infidels, the Muslims. That's what they said. But I was them called the Any I can't remember. But the reality of it is, Jesus never said, go and create war. He said, go and make disciples. He said, go and bring peace. He said, go and be nice to people and bless them and be my hands and feet. Not go and kill them in my name. And the reality of it is that if we live the way Jesus wants us to live, we're not going to fit a lot of the times. I watched the trailer yesterday or the day before, one of the days during the week, for um, there's a new version of Death Wish Show with Bruce Willis in it. Has anyone seen it? Huh? Remember the old one with um, Charles Bronson in it? Okay. So everything in me fits with that movie. Someone kills your family, go kill them all. Because that's, that's the kingdom of Brian says, go kill them all. The kingdom of the world they live in says, go kill them all. The kingdom of God says, forgive them. The kingdom of God says, try and bring them into a relationship with Jesus. That goes against everything I can think of and everything I can feel and everything that I could experience. And it messes with me. Because I haven't had people kill me family, but I've had people do lousy things on me. But the scripture still teaches me that I'm supposed to build the kingdom of God. Make disciples of Jesus. Try and bless them. You can practice this at home. We practice this at home. We were killing each other this morning. So, okay. And I'm always telling people, especially when we do marriage counseling, I said you can be right or happy, but you can't be both. Okay. So at one stage I was right, but then I decided I wanted to be happy. So I needed to kind of go have a conversation again. Right. But here's the thing. That goes against everything in me because I want to be right. <laughs> and even if I am right, I still want to be right. Does that make sense? But if I want to be happy, sometimes I have to swallow the being right bit. If I want to have real peace with God, sometimes I have to swallow the being right bit. If I want to have real peace with God, sometimes I have to swallow the right to revenge. Sometimes I have to swallow the right to to getting back. Sometimes I have to swallow, swallow, swallow. But you know what? I will never swallow more than what Jesus swallowed on the cross. Never. Because he swallowed everything wrong I have ever done in my whole life. And he did it for every one of us. So there is this whole opportunity we have and this choice that we should make about which kingdom do we want to live in? Do we want to live in the kingdom of God? Or do we want to live in the kingdom of, you put your name in there. We call it Rome just for now. Because it can look really good. And you know what's really deceptive? If, if, you, if you read into the, the history of that time, I can't remember your man's name, let me see if I can find it. Um, sorry. The guy... Um, Pontius Pilate served um, a guy called Augustus, okay? 
who ruled Rome from 31 to 14, 31 BC to 14 AD. Do you know, he was said to be the son of God. He called himself the son of God. He, they said he was born of Apollo, who was a god, who came down and conceived with Atia, who was his mother. And inscriptions refer to him as the son of God, our Lord, and even Savior. How mad is that? And after his death, the legend has it that he was seen ascending into heaven to take his place among the gods. Augustus Oxarius, Tiberius, during Jesus' lifetime of ministry, he said he had divine titles as well. And then up until the fourth century, the later, uh, later centuries, the emperors would demand not only to be addressed as God, but to be worshipped as God as well. So you have this Roman kingdom that has gods leading it. And then you have this Jewish kingdom who has God. And where that fits for me is that I have this Roman kingdom in my life with gods. And them gods can be sex, drugs, rock and roll, money, you name it, can be whatever. But then I have this one God who wants to rule over all the others. It's like the Lord of the Rings. One ring to rule over them all. Okay? One God. But there is only one God. The rest of them are gods with little Jews. But they're things that we bow down to and worship. The things we let have say over our lives that they shouldn't have say over our lives. The things that we let influence our decision making, which really shouldn't influence our decision making. The things that we let lead us up the garden path, for want of a better word, because it will always promise that things will be better and things will work out. But it never does. And as we try and follow God, it will always like to look like things are trying to fall apart, actually. Very rarely it looks in the beginning like things are coming together. And things generally get worse. There's a lot of people sitting in this room where you have walked through stuff with yours in your life and things got worse before they ever got better. True? And as it's getting worse, you're going, oh, this is crap. This isn't what I signed up for. I thought, give me life to Jesus and everything will get better. This is worse than it ever was. But you ever go to a dentist when you've got a really bad toothache? And then he takes out them big threatening things that he's going to stick in your mouth? Do you know what I mean? The pain doesn't go away until he causes you a bit more pain. It's like, oh, my God is already killing me, and then you're going to stick that yoke in me? It's like sometimes we need to bite the bullet to go through the hard bit and then come out the other side. So what I want to ask you today is, what kingdom do you want to live in? Because you have a choice. You may have already said that you're going to, you've given your life to Jesus and whatever, but even if you have, you're still every day going to have a choice. Will I live for his kingdom or will I live for my own? Or will I live for the one that the telly tells me I should have? Or Facebook tells me I should have? Or whatever is telling you? Or whatever is speaking into your life? Because something's speaking into your life. Because we all have something speaking into our lives. Every one of us. Whether it's people or stuff. We're influenced. But the question is, who do you want influencing you the most? What kind of kingdom do you want to live in? What kind of kingdom are you living in? And what kind of kingdom will you live in tomorrow? So you can have a think about that. If you're here and you don't know Jesus in the way I'm talking about, and you've never experienced making a commitment to him and saying I want you to be part of my life 
I realize I need something more than I have right now. Then if you would, just stick your hand up in the air for two seconds because I'd love to pray with you and do, do that. Thank you. See that. You can put your hand down there. Thank you. At the end, before you leave, would you mind just, just hang around for a minute and let us talk to you, if that's okay? Because I'd love to introduce you and I'd love to pray with you. If you're here and you've been struggling about which kingdom you want to live in, because the lure of one kingdom keeps pulling you, and you keep falling into walking down the garden path where wherever it may be, and you want prayer, or you just want to make an honest conversation with God possible for yourself today, maybe you put your hand up in the air too for a second. Okay, thanks. Thank you. So Lord, you see these hands. You see our hearts, even if we never put our hand in the air. You see the struggles that we fight with. You see the the stuff that tries to derail us, the stuff that wrecks our head, the stuff that drags us off, away from the, the plan you have, which is to make us a better life. So Lord, today I pray for each and every person in this room, especially for the ones who raise their hands, who are reaching out to you and saying, I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. So I pray, Lord, that you would meet with them, that you would be the change that they need, that you would strengthen them and encourage them, guide them in the way they should go, but give them the strength to go that way, Lord. So, Father, today as we celebrate Palm Sunday, as we celebrate that triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, I pray that we would also celebrate personally a triumphal entry of Jesus into our lives and a fresh infilling of Jesus into our lives. So, Father, I pray you bless your people, make your face to shine upon them. May you look towards them and may you grant them peace. May the peace of God guard your heart and your minds as you go through the rest of this week. And we pray blessing over you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Um, Don't forget Friday night we're here at 6 o'clock.